a lot of times when I go in the woods, you know, I see a little Asian guy walking around, and like, I think I hunts too, you know? <laughs> you know I, was, I wasn't born in the United States. I was born in Laos. I didn't know anything about it, so I just kind of went out there. My dad's like, there's no way you're going to kill anything out there, you know? I can't even kill anything with a rifle. How can you kill with a bow? <laughs> you know, one of my goals is to uh, go to Alaska and one hundred uh, moose up there. What is this guy doing? Does he know what he's doing? But what they didn't know was that attracts bull elk. Every bull is going to answer back differently back at you. So by listening to what they want to hear, like the specific, like if it's a high pitch, low pitch, well, that's a hunter. I think the most important thing is being patient. The fun thing is about waiting game. So you, if you wait longer than them, you're most likely you're going to win. Hey, this is Bert Yang from Living Country in the City. We're on episode 44. Y'all ready for your dose of flyover state spirit? Straight from the concrete jungle? Well, put down your latte and pull on your boots. It's time for Living Country in the City. All right, y'all, welcome to episode 44 of Living Country in the City. You know, I'm not quite ready for elk season to be over. I can't quite let it go just yet. So today I've got my good buddy Bear Yang of Pure Trophies on to talk a little bit about elk hunting. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. So, uh, Bear, thanks for hopping on the show with me today. Yeah, thank you for having me on board, Dan. So, um, for those who uh, don't follow you on Instagram, why don't you give me maybe just a a little bit of background of kind of how you got your start in hunting and really uh, kind of what you're what you're doing now. Uh, so, I started hunting when I was about fourteen. Actually, that's when I actually started bow hunting. But before that, you know, I was I wasn't born in the United States. So I was born in Laos and we moved here at an early age, about seven years old. So when I was over there, my parents have been, uh, my dad has been teaching me how to hunt in the woods. You know? So we live off the land and how to survive out there. Uh, so we got here and it's pretty much similar to where our, well, I guess where we came from. And the mountains were great. So we just stay here and we just, my dad just pick up hunting again from here. And that's why I got hooked on to it. So, suffice to say, uh, I you know, correct me if this is not a fair thing to say, but you're not the most stereotypical <laughs> American hunter. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. A lot of times when I go in the woods, you know, they see a little Asian guy walking around, and like, the guy hunts too, you know? <laughs> so, it's a little strange, you know, people give me that little weird face, like, you're five foot three and you're hunting out here, and... <laughs> I can help out, and you know, that's the, but I don't take it personally. I just look at it as like, you know, hunting is hunting. You know? Well, you know, that's it. 
it's such an awesome thing. You know, it proves that you don't have to be a, a certain type of person to love being in the outdoors, love hunting. Um, you know, uh, I love I love this community because they're, you know, some some people might act a bit surprised, like you said, to see the, you know, the little Asian guy running through the forest. But, uh, you know, they may act surprised, but it's such a welcoming group. At least that's been, you know, my experience. Um, you know, one of my good buddies here is uh, a black guy and we go shooting all the time together, you know, and and a lot of people see us together and they kind of act surprised, too. And it's just it just proves to me the more people you see out in the woods that it's, it's something for everyone. It's not just, uh, this kind of white male thing. You know, you got women out there, you got Asian dudes, you got, uh, white guys, you got black guys, you got a little bit of everyone out in the forest. And it's really an amazing thing. Yeah. It's, it's a sport that anybody can do, you know, as long as they're willing to hike and put their effort into it, they can do it. Yeah. So you grew up uh you grew up in Laos and and that's really where you started learning all of this. Yeah, I didn't I didn't start learning about elk hunting or anything like that until or deer hunting until I moved to the United States. But over there we live off the land like shoot squirrels, shoot birds or like uh, wild pigs and I never got a chance to do any of that stuff, but my dad will be hunting and bring home bring home the meat and we would look at it and, you know, praise it as like the most incredible thing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool though man so you kind of learned uh you really learned those uh outdoor skills those woodman woodsmanship skills and 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 all of that then before you got into hunting so you were probably uh once you kind of got into the big game hunting over here in the united states that really uh that probably came in super handy <laughs> oh yeah it was it was really uh head start for me you know, because my parents taught me how to trap and how to live off the land, how to find food and what to do, how to, how to survive if you had to, you got lost out there. So it was just a natural thing when I started into hunting the outdoors. Well, you know, I think that's, that's super important because a lot of the times people that are new into hunting, it's, you know, that's, that's something they'll forget. They'll learn all about the scouting and they'll learn how to shoot their bow or their rifle. And, um, you know they'll they'll check into some of the gear they need, but then a l- lot of people go out there and they don't know how to start a fire. You know they <laughs> without without some lighter fluid or something. They don't know, you know, they don't know a lot of the basic skills that you know you need to get by. And if you're camping from your car, that's not as big of an issue. But when you're you know hiking miles into the backcountry to to chase after bugling elk, that uh, is be, starts becoming more and more of a necessity. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's it's helpful, you know. You get like advantage over it because you start out young. My parents take you on the back country, you know. Uh, back where I was from, there was no cars and no vehicles to get anywhere. It's all by foot. So you were hiking from city to city or town to town in the back country. You gotta have to stop somewhere and find alternative way to start fire. You don't have, and you also don't have a Seven <laughs> <laughs> Eleven no. back there to get to get some snacks or some food in between in between spots on your on your trip. I can imagine. So that's uh, that's super impressive. And and how old were you again when you said you moved to the United States? I moved here when I was uh, seven. I got I took about two years to get here. United States. Okay, we had a 
hop into different countries, crossing borders. And, you know, after the, after the Vietnam War, we had a cross in Laos because of the communist Soviet into uh, Thailand. And from there, we, we got to, I guess, do some paperwork and we were selected in the United States. Okay. And so then uh, you were seven years old when you came to the United States. And then, uh, so what, where, uh, where exactly did you guys, did you guys move when you first came over? Did you move into the kind of the Rocky mountain States, the, uh, the mountain area? Yeah. Yeah. So my uncle then were here after the war, uh, after the 70s, after the Vietnam war. Um, they were here first about 10 years before we were here. So, and they kind of helped us sponsor and, we had no families here. They're the only close family we had. And so we land right here in Missoula, Montana. We stay here ever since. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, talk about, you know, central place for, for backcountry hunting. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> kind of the, the center of it all. How could you not, how could you move there and not, uh, <laughs> and yeah. not become a, a hunter pretty much? It seems yeah. like. I, I say it's like the draw because. If I didn't move here to Montana, I don't think I would know about elk hunting or deer hunting. I'd just be doing some kind of fishing or small game. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's that's one thing that I always, I always kind of wish is that when I at a younger age, I had, I had been introduced or exposed to backcountry hunting and elk hunting and all of that. Uh, um, but there was just, you know, my family had never had any problem with it, but there were. Uh, there was just no one that really that we knew that that ever did it. So I never, I was never really exposed to it. And this is all all a super recent thing for me over the past couple of years. But so now tell me a little bit about Pure Trophies. Uh, so Pure Trophies uh, started out as a just just like a little brotherly thing, you know. We as five of us started bow hunting at uh, at about the same time. I actually got started with I got my brothers into it. Um, when I was 14, my, me and my friends were just talking about like um, hunting. And one day they're like, yeah, my dad bow hunts. He's pretty successful every year. I'm like, that was, that was back then when bow hunting wasn't even like popular at all. Mm-hmm. There was no gears for bow hunting or anything like that. And so they had like old traditional bows that they're shooting with. And me and my friends were just talking about it. And, and I was like, yeah, that sounds interesting. You know, because where I was from, Back in Laos, my dad was teaching us to, how to shoot bows, and I was like, "That's pretty cool." <laughs> so <laughs> I, I took my class and with the you know education class, and then once I got that completed, um, I went to grab my bow, bought my bow. Back then, it was just a little small kid bow, but I didn't know anything about it, so I just kind of went out there. My dad was like, "There's no way you're gonna kill anything out there," you know. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even kill anything with a rifle. How can you kill with a bow? The thing is, we didn't know anything about like the rutting season or the postseason rifle season. You know, we just decided by license to go hunt. That's what the mentality was. But as we started studying more and more into it, and you know, my brothers involved into it, um, we started studying them and researching them and scouting and kind of do the whole background of what elephants is all about. We all got hooked into it. You know, as soon as we heard the first bugle, it was back. <laughs> <laughs> so we 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 got into it, and then we decided to just do some video of us hunting to start with. And uh, now, into a point where we kind of understand what elk want to listen to, what how to behave, where they do year round. Um, 
we decided to just come up with some easier products that we're working on currently to help hunters become more successful out there in the woods. A lot of, I think, gear or tool. Um, so, uh, so how is this season, this uh, past archery elk season been for uh, pure, the Pure Trophies crew? We, we did really good this year. Uh, not as good as the years before, but uh, only because we're picky. <laughs> 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 you know, it's not because we're hunting for the animals to eat, but we like to challenge ourselves. You know, when we first started out, anything that was legal, we were going to drop it. You know? and we could barely get our spike to come in back when we first started. And now <laughs> we had pretty much any of the right ones come in. And so this year with the forest fires that are smoking going around, you know, we didn't get a chance to go far as one healthy active with the smoke. And so we are just be calling like five pointers and small sixes coming in. And it wasn't something that we were looking for. So as the season progresses, you know, we always aim for the biggest one as possible. But as season progresses, you like, we got to lower our standards a little bit <laughs> <laughs> before we can use the tag suits. <laughs> yeah, so one of us decides to shoot a five point and then follow a few days, not a five point, and then six point, and then we just, Start taking out and um, pretty much got like five pointers this year, but we're it's understandable. You know, this year has been a good year for bulls to come in, but not the big ones that we're looking for. So now, typically, uh, when you guys go out, do you go out as a group uh, and do kind of calling setups? Do you go out solo? Is it a mix of both? Yeah, it just all depends on a certain day. If uh, if it's pre rut. We usually go a lot because the bulls are not as active and we'd like to uh, be more like a herd. And then so we can just kind of help each other out and just kind of scout a little bit and you know, cover more area for the mountain. But uh, if during the prime time, we usually split up in either two or three people or just solo, whoever wants to do whatever they want. And there's no requirements or presets that we need to do. You know, we just go out there and we locate more bowls and more opportunities for more launchers. <laughs> if we just have one bowl bugling, then we're just going to like, ah, we're just going to go chase this guy. Uh, somebody's going to shoot today. Who wants to volunteer to shoot? <laughs> somebody wants to film, and then somebody comes, somebody calls. So we just take turns. Um, and now do you, uh, do you pretty much solely hunt in Montana, or do you also do, uh, do like any out-of-state trips? We do uh, Montana and Idaho. Okay. We can buy all the contacts for Idaho. There's a lot more opportunities over there, too. In the other states in Washington, Oregon, um, we would love to do it, too, but it's just it's too, not enough time to go out there everywhere. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, uh, um, I, you know, I, I had my first... Uh, first attempt at a backcountry hunt this year out in Idaho, and it was definitely a... It was definitely a challenge, and you know, coming in from California, uh, I'm not able to get out too often. But hoping, uh, I you know, I learned a lot from it, and I'm I definitely uh, have plans for next year uh, how I can improve. But um, it's I I love Idaho; it's a beautiful place, and just those over the counter uh, opportunities are you know lifesavers. It you know you can go as a non-resident, you're able to go elk hunting every year. And that's just, I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, definitely. It's good because you're out there and 
the big countries are there. Nobody is out there too. So you, everybody wants probably go like one or two times and nothing so steep and so brushy. They don't want to go back. So you get an off count tag. You pretty much cover the whole country by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, is the uh, is the whole Pure Trophies crew? Are you guys all brothers? Or yeah, we're all brothers. Uh, five of us. Okay, man. So you got the built in. The built-in packout team there. That's pretty Yeah, weird. yeah. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> it's good because we're uh, just fortunate all of five of us like uh, bow hunting. We kind of grew up like sitting back in Laos where my dad taught us how to live out in the woods, you know, how to survive. So we didn't survive. My dad was not too happy about it. So <laughs> you better learn because we're not going to be here for you forever. You, know, you yeah. got your own family. You got to teach your own kid. So now uh... – because y'all are brothers, um, do you find that that makes like things easier, or do you find that it's there's a lot of conflict in the group uh, where you know one of you wants to do one thing, or and you guys butt heads, or or how does that uh, how does that work out? It's it's easier sometimes, you know. Like uh, we we get along, we know each other pretty well. You know what what style he likes, or what you know my older brother likes. He likes to hike a lot. Uh, hike fast and go add the bulls. Well, as me, I like to call the bulls come to me. You know? Why go to them when they can come to you? Make <laughs> <laughs> the pack easier for me, right? So, so we're always like butt ahead because you know he, he wants to do it a certain way. I do want to do it a certain way. But so we have come to an agreement that if you're the shooter, we'll do whatever you want. You know, uh, if you want to go chase him, we'll stay behind you and we'll call and distract him and have him come in. And you do your thing outside because. Yeah, we're not going to tell you how it's done. You're the shooter, so you do what? But when it's my turn, you just call, and I will just wait here and take my time and have the ball come to me. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that makes that makes sense because if you're the shooter, you know you don't, you know you want to be able to do it your way. And uh, as as the group, you don't want to, you know, you don't want him if if he doesn't get his ball to then be like, well, it's because because we had to do it your way, and you know that's going to cause a lot of a lot of arguments and stuff. So, I mean, that's definitely a smart way to handle it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because everybody has their own strategy and their own way of hunting. So, I mean, it's five of us. We, surprisingly, we all have our own way of hunting. <laughs> our own strategy. So, it's all works, right? You know, we just understand each other how we all want. So, when one of us is hunting, we just know, okay, he wants it this way. So, we just <laughs> back or either... If my oldest brother's hunting, he's like, oh, we're going to be a long hike today. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so like, what's the what's the age, ra- age range between the oldest and youngest? Uh, my oldest, yeah, my oldest is about uh, 40 years old. And then 37 and uh, 34 for me. And uh, 32 and then 31. Yeah. So you guys are all pretty pretty close in age it's not a not a huge uh huge age gap there yeah it's not a huge age gap very five two years apart more. okay so do you have any uh any uh uh fun stories from the season you uh might be able to share with us yeah i mean every year is always a new story <laughs> <laughs> uh stories are always made and new memories are always created so uh this year actually I've just been helping a lot of people this year. I feel like um, I've been hunting for over 20 years now. It's actually the 20th year that I've been bow hunting. So uh, every year I always try to get back to 
new hunters and trying to help people out. Um, it's successful out there. Yeah, I've gotten my fair share of harvesting my gold. So it's not always about chilling and hanging out. But this year, I've just been helping like some new friends from Ohio. Coming out here, they wanted to experience the well, we've been hunting for like about four or five years now, but they haven't even harvested anything out here. And so they were they contacting me and you know, showing them around different good spots for them to get some action. They were here for like two weeks, and I give them a good spot to go hunting. And, you know, that's, that's like a really hot spot where they can guarantee to see help with those who come in and hopefully get them. But, um, it's good to see the new faces out there and see their little facial expressions out there that they're seeing for the first time. Like, wow, it's, it's actually happening, you know? And so <laughs> when I'm a hunting out there, I'm just, I'm just relaxed, you know? I'm not like used to be where I'm so nervous where like the bull might see me or whatsoever. So the first opening weekend in Idaho, I took those guys out there and uh, we called them the bull. They were just, they didn't know why I'm making so much noise and walking with you. A lot of people are just, Sneaking on the foot and trying to be quiet as possible. I'm just walking out there and bugling and throwing logs and, you know, pushing logs down the mountain and make as much noise. And like, they're, they're like, what is this guy doing? Does he know what he's doing? <laughs> make so much noise, scaring the whole canyon away, animals away. But what they didn't know was that attracts bull elk and they love sounds. And so by teaching them and giving them new strategies to help them on their hunt, and actually calling the bull in within like 10 yards, they didn't get a shot, but they actually see the whole process of how it works. They were actually amazed by like how simple it was when they were making it more harder than it is. That's, yeah, that's one of the funny things is, uh, you know, I, I can imagine all the, the whitetail hunters and everything, they're used to just having to be absolutely silent, you know, not a movement, not a not a sound, you know, the slightest bit could, could scare them away. And then, you know, the Western elk hunters are, <laughs> like you said, <laughs> crashing through, stomping, breaking tree branches, knocking down logs. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I remember I was talking with someone and they were just saying, they're like, you've got to, to some extent, give the elk what they expect. You want to convince a bull that you're another big bull who wants to fight and, you, they're going to hear you coming through the forest. They're not, you know, they're not going to, if all of a sudden there's some, some mystery elk that appears out of nowhere, um, you know, unless they're, unless they're really hot trying to protect some hot cows or something, they're not going to, they're going to feel like, eh, something's off. I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go mess with this. But, uh, if they, if they hear that bull approaching and they're, they're convinced that it, he's a big sucker ready to fight, uh, <laughs> yeah, you want you want them to feel like they're comfortable, you know. So more, more natural in the woods. If you're too quiet and then hit a twig break, they're gonna get scared because they're like, "What well, other sound is a twig break? It could be a cougar or a predator somewhere." And they gotta book it. <laughs> <laughs> fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
So what would you say your biggest strength is as a hunter? And what would you say your biggest weakness is as a hunter? Well, you know, I'm always trying to learn new things every year. And I do learn anything every year. Right when I figure it out, something, it's always something popping up and I have to (laughs) (laughs) every season. You know, but I think my biggest strength of this is my calling, being to identify what the, the bull wants to hear and what sounds to make at a certain time. You know, so I can be part of their conversation. A lot of times people don't understand it. It's like, you can't just do one call all day long because the bull is not interested in that sound. They might like it the first few minutes, but after that, if you don't know how to change your sound or your tone to accommodate to what he wants to listen to, then he's not going to be interested. He's not going to come in. No, investigate. So, what recommendations would you give uh, give to some say some new hunters that wanted to to learn more about calling? What would you What would you recommend? Now, for them, for newbies or anybody that's been hunting for a long time, they want to improve their chances of success on their elk hunting. What they have to do is mostly just practice on the calling. Uh, like, try to get like a different variety of calls. Understand like this location call. There's a uh, there's a grunting call. There's a uh, I'm here call. You know, I have different names for them, but uh, not everybody can understand them. But there's, there's certain ways where you like you call them and you locate them. Everybody's gonna locate them at first. You know, you you call them at, when you're getting to site. When you locating them, once they answer you, every bull is gonna answer back differently back at you. So by listening to what they want to hear, like a specific, like if it's a high pitch, low pitch, is he aggressive, is he mellow, you got to, I guess, uh, accommodate for what they want. You know, They're, if he's aggressive, sometimes you don't have to do much. He's going to come in no matter what. But if he's just stalling out there, like a mile away, doesn't care. And so locate, locate, uh, location call is just the basic one that everybody knows about. But there's, there's other like three or four sounds that out there that they're not familiar with. And so by listening to more elk sound on YouTube or anywhere, I think that copying and imitating those, applying that into the field, it would help them increase their chance of calling them. So as far as like resources for learning elk calling, you recommend kind of going to YouTube, checking out the actual elk sounds that they're making and trying to replicate those? Yeah, do that and just do it from some uh uh, experts that are like world champions and just kind of kind of get some hints and tips from uh, people that are successful and listen to their bugles and then because everybody's bugles can be different so look at it, what works in a certain video and what doesn't work don't try to don't try to uh, follow somebody's steps on how to hunt in the video because their step is different than what the next elk's going to be like every elk's different you know mm-hmm so uh, we talked a little bit about your biggest strength as an elk hunter. What would you say your biggest weakness, the thing you need to work on the most as an elk hunter? Well, as a hunter, I think the most important thing is being patient. You know, uh, patience is the key in your uh, hunting elk. If you don't, if you're not patient and you're thinking that I, even if he's not big enough for like five, ten minutes, you're thinking you may have gone out of the country. You <laughs> 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 might have spooked it somehow. And you're, you're just sitting there waiting, wondering what's going on because he was so hot and all of a sudden he became so quiet. You know, a lot of times because they're, they're more patient than we are. They're just waiting to see your mistakes. So, the thing is about a waiting game. So, you 
if you wait longer than them, you most likely you're gonna win. But a lot of times, as a hunter, we don't like to wait. We like to see the animal, and we want to go shoot it as soon as fast as possible. <laughs> so, <laughs> by not having enough patience, like getting into them, you know, 10, 15 minutes have gone by. They're standing right there where they know where you are, just silently looking at you to see where you are. And you don't have the patience to wait for them to get tired to come into you. Then you go towards them, they're going to see you coming in at them. And they're going to uh, take off because they're not as stupid as we think they are. And they're smart at just waiting, looking as much as we are. And they're, they're trying to tease us as much as we're trying to tease them. So <laughs> <laughs> a lot of times they win. Are there any specific moments you can think of or like times that you can think of where, um, you know, you were you were chasing an elk or whatever, a specific elk or whatever, and because because you weren't patient enough, you may uh, you you didn't get it or you you spooked it or anything. Yeah, just uh, example would be like the this year. Um, me and my brother had gone out, you know, hiked for four miles in, and you know, we we didn't see no elk signs at all for like the first four miles. No rubs, no tracks, nothing. Really like. I wonder what all the bulls are hiding at, you know? And as soon as we hike over to the last ridge, and like, this is the last ridge before we turn back around, because anything down here is all down here. I don't really want to pack, like, <laughs> this far <laughs> here. Because we usually pack everything, even the guts and intestines and everything. So we like to do a uh, little trip as possible, you know? Sometimes we have to do two, but we try to keep it into one. So it was only two of us, and I was like four or five miles in. I'm not going to pack everything <laughs> so, uh on our last ridge we bugled you know at like nine o'clock or so and finally first bull bugled back and we were like all right he's hot and it only took us like two bugles and he was running in from down the canyon and so we didn't get a chance to check the wind either you know because usually by the morning thermals it's going down and so we were just we just got set up real fast and Next thing you know, we hear him crashing through, and uh, two minutes, two seconds later, we hear him running back, and I, what's going on? And we we checked the wind, and the wind was going down right at his face, and so, all right, he he he's gone. So, but he <laughs> went about like a quarter mile down nothing. He started digging him back. And we're like, well, we spooked this guy. Don't want, don't need to go bother this guy, and let's just go around the corner again, right? So we figured we were not patient on the first one. We didn't get the chance to check the wind. On the second one, we went around the corner about not too far, 200 yards, and we located the herbal. We had a cow, and he was about a quarter mile down the mountain as well. And he was coming up to us fast, too. But knowing that the wind was going down, we went, we went pretty fast. And what we should have done was move up farther back, whether he could have a chance to come up to the uh, top of the ridge. We didn't have the, that um, mentality at the time. You know, so we ran real fast down the mountain as fast as possible, and we went butt headed together. You know, both came up real fast, and we went down. And next thing we know, we both got spooked each other. <laughs> <laughs> we both ran all step away. You know, so it's being patient that what counts the most because sometimes you can be down the canyon. Next thing you know, he's right there in front of you. And so if you we would have waited just another minute or so, we would have probably had a shot at that bull. It's definitely, uh, you know, it it's it's a tough thing, you know, especially 
that's great advice for new hunters because, um, you know, when you've been doing it a bit longer, you know, I know every bull you still get excited about, but as a new hunter, I think you're a lot, we're a lot more susceptible to that. Oh my gosh, I heard something. I need to go go after it now. I need to, I need to get there. I need to get there as soon as possible. And, and, ah, you know, that, that just crazy bull fever. Um, but you know, it's just, it's, it's important to remind yourself, check the wind, think about what you're doing. Don't, don't rush, you know, and there's times, there's times you need to go fast. Like, you know, a bull is, you know, if you need to cut off a bull or something like that, there's, there's times when it's, uh, when it's appropriate to, to go quickly, but that needs to be part of a well, you know, a well-considered plan, not, not just kind of rushing into something. Yeah. Um, the bugle, that's what gets you going. You, know? you hear the first bugle and you're like, your adrenaline started rushing. You're like, blood's boiling and you're like, you don't know what to do. You're like, okay, I gotta go set up somewhere. And then you, you just don't think because sometimes it's not in your natural ground that you've been hunting. Mm-hmm. The new ground that you've been going to, you don't know how the terrain, you don't know what, where they're gonna come from. And you're just kind of guessing a line that they're gonna be, okay, coming from you to me and it's gonna be straight. So you can just kind of adjust to wherever he's going to be coming in. And sometimes they're, they're adjusting to where you're going to go too. So you you both could be going the same direction. You, you might be trying to circle him. He might be circling you. And next thing you know, you're, you're like butting heads. You're like, what? <laughs> you know? <laughs> a bit more patient. I would have at least knew where he was going. I'd be able to adjust myself to where he's going to be going. So I can at least get a shot. You know? But without thinking, he's coming, he's trying to circle you. And you're going on the same side he's going. And you're going to meet each other. So you mentioned uh, kind of earlier, you mentioned that you pack out uh, all of the guts and intestines and everything as well. Yeah, uh, it's always been like a tradition where um, my dad and just my uncles or cousins or everybody that taught us from, from very young. Um, back when we were in Laos, we don't leave anything behind because everything is pretty much useful and edible. So we, we take everything that is inside the body the stomach, we just take all the grass off, but we take the small intestines that have the poop juice in there. We call it the <laughs> <laughs> bitter juice, you know? bitter soup, that's what we call it for the, after we cook it, but uh, we pack everything, in all the organs in the stomach, the small intestines that pack all that stuff out. If we don't pack that stuff out, when we come back home, uh, you never get the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> You get the you get the talking to from dad, huh? Yeah, pretty much. And all the uncles and everybody's gonna be like, "No, you just wasted the good stuff." You know, <laughs> you get back in there. I don't care if you have to drive six mi- six hours. Get back <laughs> yeah. in there and bring it back now. <laughs> pretty much, you know, in the back of your mind when you harvest an animal, you're thinking like, uh, "I don't want to hear them talking about that stuff." So I might just pack it. <laughs> um. So what's uh? Let's say what would what would be like your favorite favorite meal or favorite dish cooked from from something that's not necessarily like a standard, you know, not not a tenderloin or a you know part of the front quarter or something. Uh, I would say it's the uh, the bitter soup. It's coming from the intestines. That, that's my first choice that I would choose. But uh, not a lot of people are not familiarized with that how to cook it. So I. Uh, I'm gonna have to give you my second choice, where it's the raw meat, you know. So, like the back straps, people use it for 
steaks. That's the most common one that we use for cutting the steaks. But we cut them in very small, thin slices, like almost like a ground, almost like ground beef, a stir fry kind of style. We make them very thin, and then we make them we make them raw. We eat them raw with like herbs and uh, mint and onion, cilantro, and all that stuff mixed together, and peppers and all that ground together. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I'll have to, or we'll have to, we'll have to talk after this and I'll have to get a, maybe a link or something, uh, with a, with a recipe for like the bitter soup. And then like, if you, uh, if there's uh, any good links for like the combination of all the peppers and stuff you guys use for the, for the back straps. Cause I think that would be really interesting. I've done a, uh, I've done an episode with, uh, uh, wild game chef, Jeremiah Dowdy. Uh, and I'm sure he'd love, uh, he did an experiment, I think with uh, an antelope, um, where he wanted to literally use every part of the animal for, you know, for something. And, uh, and I'm sure he would, uh, he would absolutely love to hear, uh, hear some additional recipes that, that he could try out too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, more people would get exposed to it and more waste left behind with, right? <laughs> yep. Yep. So with packing out the guts, do you ever, uh, have you had any, especially in Montana, I can imagine, have you ever had uh, any issues with uh, bears or grizzlies? I don't usually hunt in bears, like grizzly bear country. And so I don't see grizzly bears, but I'm usually when you harvest it's like a bull elk. And so we never see any predators. We'd love to see a bear so we can shoot it too, but <laughs> <laughs> they don't come around when we have something. So yeah, uh, that's that's interesting. So you really just haven't had uh, too many bear encounters out there, huh? Yeah, not not when we're hunting. Usually when we're like just hiking around, or so we see them. But not when we're hunting for elk, and so they don't really come bother us. They know that they can smell us too. So they can be smart about that. So elk, uh, elk is pretty obviously your your kind of preferred preferred hunt. Uh, what else? Uh, what else do you enjoy chasing after? I uh, chasing the white tails too. Okay. I used to love chasing white tails and then uh but it's not as extreme as elk hunting because you know you, you can't be with the buck and you can grunt them, but it's not as loud, you can't like cross the canyon the canyon, you know, you just gotta sit there and weigh and deer's are a little bit more susceptible to like uh sounds and noises. So if you start walking, we don't I don't like to sit on tree stand. I'm not into a tree stand guy, so I, I like to stalk and Spawn stock. So that's what I like to do most time. And, I mean, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Try to get close as possible. Try to be the ultimate predator and just be like a cougar or something. As high <laughs> as possible and close as possible. Shooting. Well, you know, there's something really satisfying about it because it's such such a dynamic hunt. You know, being in the backcountry and either they're bugling or the spot and stock, and uh, it's there's just something satisfying where, where sometimes, you know, I've sat, I've sat in a tree stand before and I, you know, I would, I would definitely rather be in the back country. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'll take, I'll take sitting in a tree stand over sitting at my office chair any day. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's definitely, it's definitely a waiting game. And, um, I don't, I don't think it's quite as satisfying as, as being able to, to go out and really get into where the animals live and and get deep into that country there's just something really uh really fulfilling about that for me yeah i mean any day outdoors is better than any day indoors <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yeah uh, 
freezing my butt off in a tree stand is better than uh, better than being behind the laptop for sure. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Um... So now if you had uh what would your what would your dream hunt be? If you had you know money was no money was no object, any animal you could get any tag you want uh for anywhere you want, what would uh what would you want to hunt? I think uh, one of my goals is to uh, go to Alaska and want to hunt a moose up there, you know. Actually we my brother's been been drawn for moose here in Montana and Idaho. I'm the only one that hasn't got a moose tag yet, so uh. <laughs> <laughs> I've been putting it in for a long, long time, and I never got it. So I quit putting it in draws because I never got it. So I'm like, I'm just gonna go make take the easy way out, go to Alaska and buy it, <laughs> give myself a big one, yeah, because it actually tastes really good. Uh, we eat pretty much everything off moose, so we take the hide too. The hide is one of the best dishes that you can get out of it. So they're really thick and they're very good. You know? So you actually eat the moose hide? Correct, yeah. We take the hair off, we burn the hair off, and then we take the big skin, the, like the kind of the leather part, you know, the uh-huh. big piece, and we uh, cook it for a long time and make it very soft, and then we slice them up real good and dip in pepper and eat them like that. That is really cool. I gotta, I'm gotta. i going to have to get like a recipe book from you or something, because <laughs> I'm like... I'm like super fascinated with all the all like the different dishes and stuff now. That's um but that would be super cool. Yeah, Alaska is definitely one of my uh that's that's on my bucket list right there. I would love to go up um I'd love to do moose in Alaska and uh I would love to chase some bear up in Alaska too. Yeah, that's that's one thing that I wanna do because uh one of my bucket lists is to have a plane drop me off like a hundred miles, two hundred miles somewhere out in, in Alaska. Let me live there for like a month and then like pick me up, you know, <laughs> just get out there and hunt and then eat off the land for a month and then pick me up and get back home to antlers. <laughs> there's a, there's an episode of the podcast I did with a guy, uh, Corey Staniforth. Um, he, uh, really cool guy, but he told a story, I guess he and his buddies did a trip and they found, uh, I guess the most remote, island like i i think it was uh all around like prince of wales island out in alaska um you know it's got all the like little sub islands around it and they went and found like the most remote island where nobody has been in in just years and years and years and they took some like little little teeny boat that they had to rent to get out there and 
Um, you know, there's just, it was like the most remote backcountry trip and they did, uh, a pretty long period of time out there, uh, to go hunt. I think they were hunting bear. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, you should, you should, uh, give that episode a list and I'll have to, I'll, I'll link to it on the show notes page. I'll have to look up exactly what episode number it was, but, uh, yeah, yeah, he talks, uh, he talks about doing just like, yeah, like you're saying, like a super remote, you know, live off the country kind of trip in, into Alaska. Um, the kind of trip where if, if, you know, the boat sinks or something, somebody's probably going to (laughs) die. Um, but yeah, no, Alaska, I, I think, I don't know what it is about Alaska, but there's something just super alluring about it. And I don't know, maybe it's just cause it's so, there's so many places that are just so remote and wild or not exactly. I'm not to- not totally sure what it is, but something like that. So what, uh, if you had to pick some kind of essential pieces of gear that you think, um, really uh really kind of make your elk hunt what would maybe your top uh two or three pieces of gear that you would recommend uh recommend to someone uh the thing that i think that uh, i recommend for people is is a bow you know bow and knife is probably the most important things that you can get for surviving or just I mean, you don't have to get like the fast technology nowadays because you can't make your own arrows you know you're not gonna get a carbon fiber arrow out in the woods somewhere, uh, but if you can get like a basic bow and long bow, so you can make your own arrows out there. And my parents always taught me how to make arrows back in the I was in Laos, how to make arrows out of bamboo trees, you know. So you cut them up, you shoot them, it's gonna kill an elk, but you're not gonna probably like kill like a grizzly bear or <laughs> you're gonna get something to eat. You're gonna survive. <laughs> Well, you might at least be able to uh, scare it away, make it think twice if it's coming at you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Give, have it give you give enough pause to to get away or something. But uh, so so you you learned how to. That's super impressive. As part of uh, those those that self sufficiency and survival skills, you learned how to make your own arrows. Would you guys? Would you also make your own bow typically or? Yeah, we don't have like the nice technology they have now, but like we we do usually make uh, our own bowls out of bamboos. I mean, and they make strings out of it, out of uh, twines from either from animals, animal skins or muscles that we have, or from trees that we have out of the jungles. They're not as powerful, not as fast as the ones that we have here in the United States, but they'll kill animals. You know, it's enough to definitely put down something when you're. Uh hungry in the back country yeah yeah as long as you can survive it's not you know you back there you're not about like trophy hunting anymore you just want to get something on the table so you can family can eat (laughs) (laughs) it's a whole different uh culture now it's a lot more of like a sports now you know like Mm -hmm. we do we advertise it we promote it to get hunters gather or newbies to start hunting buy gears for all these nice equipments to get out there and you're going to be successful with these new tools, new gear. Like it doesn't really, you know, define the art of hunting anymore, but you know, back then it's all about food and food and food. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's crazy impressive, man. Making your own bow from bamboo and, and animal sinew and skin and then, and then bamboo arrows, 
um what would you what would you use for would you just sharpen the end of the bamboo or would you actually have an arrowhead for those uh if you ha- had like metal and stuff you can you can sharpen it into a uh broad head stuff but most of the time it's just gonna be like a kind of like a field tip style you sharpen on the tip of the bamboo you just measure your length of the arrow and that fits your arm length and then you just cut the tip of it and make it sharp as possible uh. that's cool man that's super cool so from from then to now um what would you consider maybe one or two essential pieces of gear that you use nowadays going into the backcountry uh, you know, like every year they're always trying to promote new gears that is better than ever. But <laughs> the I always try to avoid buying new gears because every time I buy new gears, it never really helps. You know, it actually add, adds more weight to my pack. You know, I'm always thinking it's going to help me um, be more successful, but actually it doesn't. So to me, I just keep it simple as possible. It's the new clothes that I have. And you want to buy the best clothing you can get out there. Don't go cheap and go buy some cotton pants or cotton shirts. You're going to get cold when it gets wet. And so uh, get clothing is important. Uh, good boots. Um, you know, flashlights as simple as possible. You don't need to have, like, the fastest bow in the market, you know. I, I know people who have the fastest bows in the market, and they can't kill anything. So <laughs> it's it's all in the hunter. So the hunter has to know what they can and can't shoot and what they're capable of. So having the best gear out there doesn't make you the best hunter out there. Definitely. So trying to keep it light and keep it simple because uh, having things that you don't need is going to slow you down and you're not going to get to the spot that you want to get a good shot. Definitely. So you'd recommend investing uh, in in good hunting clothing and good boots, then, huh? Yeah, that, yep. That's the best thing because you don't want to be all sweat up and all soaking. The wind's going and get cold and start shivering. Then <laughs> <laughs> hunting's not as fun anymore. You, know, you want something that's moisture wicking and is, you know when you're hiking hard, you know you're chasing the bull, you're sweating, drenching like sweat. You know, Give you cold for a little bit, but at least your your sweat it off and it would dry off real fast. Definitely. Um. So, uh, what recommendations? Uh, you know, we've talked a little bit about some of this stuff, but you know, this podcast is really kind of geared towards people that are new to the outdoors, new to hunting. Um. What uh. What recommendations or words of wisdom would you give for someone if you had someone come to you and be like, hey? You know, I live in the middle of the city. Um, I, I really am interested in getting into hunting. Uh, you know, what? I, but it, it's there's just so much to learn. I'm super intimidated. What would you tell that person? For starters or anybody that wants to get into hunting, I would say just go out there and uh, learn it. You know, when you first started out, me personally, I didn't have no knowledge. Nobody was a, a mentor for me. I had to do it myself. Uh, my first time I went bugling, I heard a Elk bugle, I didn't know how to bugle. You know, I just started practicing different calls and trying different strategies and hike different ridges, experiment on how to be successful. You know, it's not going to be your first. Some people get on the first day, first time, <laughs> they're, they're, and they think it's going to be easy that forever. It's not. And so you just get out there and try new strategies and tricks that you can get the bull to come in or, or deer or anything, you know. So pretty much you'd recommend 
spend time in the woods and experiment and learn learn from getting out there? Yeah, it, it's putting yourself out there. You know, you can watch all the YouTube or you read all the tips and tricks on, online. And if you don't go out there, you're not going to learn it because, like, every situation is different. You may read on an article somewhere and, oh, I did this. It worked for me really well. And you get out there, you apply the same thing to a specific hunt. It's not going to be the same. You know, and the animals are acting differently. You know, um, you got to understand the animal. You know? So you, the more you study about the animal, how they behave and what they like to do and what they like to hear, then you can start to understand their language and the, the elk's culture, or, you know, whether it's whitetail or elk. You know, you can either set trail cams or wait in the trail and kind of study where they're going. But I say get out there and just do it. Uh, don't wait for somebody to just willing to give that time up and take you out there and show you the ropes because it's a lot of people are secretive about that spot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So if people wanted to uh, follow you and your brothers online or uh, kind of see what y'all are doing, um, where, uh, where can people find you online? You can go to our website, uh, puretrophies.com or our Facebook at facebook.com slash puretrophies. And they can, follow us and updates and all that stuff we post videos there once in a while uh try to keep as much as possible we i'm the pretty much do everything <laughs> uh, all my brothers just, they just want to shoot and <laughs> and uh experience the outdoor i i want to showcase everything out uh so yeah i'll make sure to post those uh links to your guys's socials so people can follow you online uh on our show notes page that's going to be livingcountryinthecity.com slash 44 for episode 44. Okay. Um, but thank you so much for taking the time uh, today to hop with me on the call. Yeah, no problem. Uh, thanks for having me on board. Uh, you know, I'd love to talk about hunting anytime I can get a chance to. All right, y'all, that'll do it for episode 44 of Living Country in the City. Make sure y'all head on over and check out Bear and Pure Trophies on social. Uh, You won't regret it. These guys really get it done every year. Y'all can get links to all those pages on our show notes page at livingcountryinthecity.com slash 44. But in the meantime, keep it country, y'all. Thank y'all for listening to Living Country in the City. Get show notes and check out the blog, product reviews, events, and more at livingcountryinthecity.com. Thursdays with Saltwater Experience, brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts, every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. 